KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power, welcoming the renowned Jack Quartet to San Diego for an evening of music titled Modern Medieval, with works by Caroline Shaw, Morton Feldman, and more. Monday, May 6th at The Loft at UC San Diego, artpower.ucsd.edu. Governor Newsom calls for a lockdown within days here in Southern California. Bars, wineries, personal services, uh, hair salons, and the like will be temporarily closed. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Mark Sauer. This is KPBS Midday Edition. The current threat of COVID infections is called the worst that San Diego has seen. We know that this virus not only gets transmitted by respiratory droplets, but also by aerosols and masks. Whatever type of masks they are can help. Red flag fire conditions will continue into the weekend in San Diego. And a virtual celebration of memoir writers takes place at the San Diego Memoir Showcase. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the National Conflict Resolution Center. Topics like political polarization and hybrid work policies can create workplace conflict. NCRC can help workplace leaders navigate divisive issues with the culture, communication, and conflict certificate. More at ncrconline.com. Our top story, California is in for another round of shutdowns. Governor Gavin Newsom says he's pulling the emergency break. We are announcing uh, and introducing a regional stay-at-home order in the state of California, fundamentally predicated on the need to stop gathering with people outside of your household, to do what you can to keep most of your activities outside, and of course, always uh, most important non-pharmaceutical intervention, that is wear face coverings, wear a mask. In a daily news conference again today, Governor Newsom uh, cited some very grim numbers uh, from November 7th, 14 laws, uh, lives were lost, that is on November 7th. In the last 24 hours and the day before that, we've seen 113 deaths, a huge jump there. Close to 1,000 deaths, the governor said, in the past 14 days in California. He says if we don't act now, the hospital systems will soon be overwhelmed and the uh, death rate is going to climb. KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento is here now, and she's going to help us recap this. Uh, Taryn, um, the governor has announced the state being divided into five regions, including the greater Southern California area for the stay-at-home order. Uh, What determines when we will go in? And I should say, and we'll note, uh, it's a little confusing at this point. Right. There was so much information, lots of numbers, lots to digest. So we're going to try and go through it as best as we can. But it seems that uh, a region will enter this stay-at-home order when the hospital ICU capacity um, or availability gets below 15%. Um, We're in the Southern California region, so it's not county-based, it's region-based. And so the governor's best estimates or projections showed that we would be entering that phase um, in early December. You know, we, we are in early December today, so we're still um, hoping to find out more details about that, but it does seem it's, it's, it's very soon inevitable within days. Yeah, so just a couple of days. I mean, people should start preparing to go into this right now. What's it going to mean for people and businesses? It's not altogether clear at this point. 
Right. So, um, yeah, again, um, lots of details. So one thing is, you know, retail, um, the retail sites will be able to continue operating, but they will have to reduce their capacity to 20%, I believe, under the purple tier. It was previously 50%, so that will be a change. Um, restaurants, it sounds like, will be limited to takeout um, and delivery only. Um, we know that recently they were only allowed to outdoor dining. It seems like that won't be allowed anymore. Um, you know, the the essential activities going to um, a doctor checkup, you know, grocery store, um, again, picking up takeout, those will all be allowed. And the governor did encourage people to get outdoors. So the beaches and parks and hiking trails, et cetera, don't seem to be um, uh, affected by this order unless a local government decides to take further measures. Um, so but it, it does seem, according to some reporting by the Sacramento Bee, that that playgrounds um, will be will be closed down. And also, you know, the things that we would expect will be closed down wineries, bars, casinos, live audience sports, um, uh, you know, also salons, which were allowed under purple tier. Those seems that though they will be shut down as well. Thanks to the reporting by uh, Sacramento Bee. And joining me now is Dr. Christian Ramers, Assistant Medical Director with Family Health Centers and Adjunct Assistant Professor in San Diego State University's School of Public Health. Uh, he specializes in infectious diseases. Dr. Ramers, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, what's your reaction to the governor calling for the stay-at-home order? It looks like the hospitals are just about to get really overwhelmed. Well, if you've been following the the epidemic curves through the last couple of weeks, uh, you know we definitely saw this coming. We've seen the steepest increase in the uh, curve of cases uh, that we've ever had, and I think people get a little bit um, numb to the the idea that we're in the worst place that we've ever been. Um, you know, it's been nine, ten months of of working through all of these really hard restrictions, but we literally are in the worst place that we've ever been. When you look at the hospital numbers. Uh, for the county of, um, of San Diego, uh, our previous peak was in July with 411 hospital beds taken and 160 ICU beds taken, and we are well above those numbers now. And uh, we know these uh, stay-at-home uh, orders, uh, we had a, a real restrictive one there right when the pandemic started in March. How effective was that, and, and do you think we can repeat the effectiveness now? Yeah, well, when we do have lockdown orders or, or try to, to decrease congregation and, and people getting together, we, we inevitably do see that the rates decrease. But the problem with this disease is that, you know, the things we do now don't have effect until about two weeks from now. And when you think about the fact that out of ten, eight out of the last 10 days, we've had over a thousand new cases diagnosed in San Diego. There's probably many more than that that are not diagnosed. You know, that's thousands of people walking around that are infectious. And so this is when we reach the point of exponential spread where things really get out of control. And it's, it, I can't emphasize enough, it is, it is such a critical thing to overwhelm the hospital system. Um, imagine if you had a heart attack today and there really wasn't a place for you to go. So there's all of these non-COVID related illnesses that we still need to be able to maintain the capacity to be able to take care of. And it is really frightening to see the curves go as high as they're going. Um, this is what everybody has feared all along. And uh, can you talk for a moment about wearing the mask? How uh, important it, is it? Uh, and I know we're all tired, we're fatigued, as the governor noted, but uh, mask wearing really has to be the standard at this point. Absolutely. The, the evidence supporting the wearing of masks has just continued to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate, and it's not at all a question anymore. Um, people will say that at the beginning, well, you weren't sure. You said, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. And that was really true because we didn't have the evidence and we were a little bit worried about people hoarding masks and keeping them from our healthcare workers. 
Um, but really the issue is settled now that places that have implemented universal mask wearing have seen sharp declines in transmission. Uh, we know that this virus not only gets transmitted by respiratory droplets, but also by aerosols and masks, whatever type of masks they are can help. Of course, masks have different effectiveness. A cloth mask is a little bit less effective than a surgical mask, which is less effective than an N95, sort of those, those super um, uh, filtration masks. Uh, but really the way the population behaves is almost more important than the type of mask. So people that are, that, places that they have implemented universal mask wearing policies inevitably will see less transmission. And uh, how long do you think it will be in this kind of a more restrictive uh, shutdown before we start seeing some relief for the hospitals, if we can see that at this point? Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, we are on a 24-hour news cycle, but the virus is on about a two to three week infection cycle because of the incubation period and how long it takes people to get sick, even after they uh, have tested positive. So really, I think on the two to three week time scale is what we've seen. There's a really good documentation of what happened in Arizona earlier in the summer. When, when they implemented lockdown type changes within about two to three weeks, you start to see that curve bend and then flatten. So that's the time scale I think we should be looking at. And we're running out of time, but the governor said, notes the importance of caring for your mental health. Has Family Health Center seen an increase in requests for mental health services with the pandemic? Absolutely. Across uh, every aspect of what we do, uh, you know, no less our own employees and our own healthcare workers who, you know, in the county briefing, as the CEO of Sharp Healthcare mentioned, the, the healthcare workers are really at, our nerves are pretty fried. Um, we're at the end of our rope. Uh, and to be facing this kind of tidal wave approaching us very soon uh, is, is um, a very significant place to be. Uh, so yes, absolutely. Take care of your mental health as well. Well, I've been speaking with Dr. Christian Raymers, Assistant Medical Director with Family Health Centers and Adjunct Assistant Professor at San Diego State University School of Public Health, and Taryn Mento, KPBS Health Reporter. Thanks very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. Santa Ana winds tore through eastern San Diego last night, fanning a fire in Rancho San Diego to 30 acres. Fire officials say residents in the path of the Willow Fire were evacuated and one structure was destroyed, six were damaged. CAL FIRE reports the fire is 50% contained. San Diego gas and electric cut power to 73,000 residents in the county because of the record strong winds and fire danger. SDG&E says it's sending crews out to air areas where the winds have decreased, inspecting circuits and power lines to see when it's safe to restore service. Joining me with an update on the Santa Ana winds and the red flag conditions is Alex Tardy, Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service in San Diego County. Alex, welcome back. Thanks for having me on. The winds last night were much stronger than expected, weren't they? Uh, I would say the winds were probably nearly as strong as expected for most areas. Um, the Santa Ana wind came in uh, after sunset, and when it came in, it came in with a lot of force. And we saw wind gusts as high as 95 miles per hour up at uh, Cuyamaca Lake. That's uh, up west of Mount Laguna. So we were only expecting, you know, maybe 85 there. So a little bit stronger in, in a few of the windy prone areas, but more importantly, Areas like Ramona, Escondido, Alpine, they had wind gusts over 50 miles per hour, and that's where people live. And so that was the main impact overnight when those winds set up. Tell us how dry it got, too. Humidity was into the single digits some places, wasn't it? Yes, and as we speak, it still is. 
So in this particular Santa Ana wind event, what unusual part of it was we started off very dry. So we had a Santa Ana wind Thanksgiving weekend and we never moistened up, didn't even get clouds. So we started off with very dry air and all night last night, places that had the wind had humidity in the teens. And that, that's pretty unusual all night. And now with the sun coming up, it's down, like you mentioned, in the single digits. So we started off dry and got even drier with the Santa Ana wind event. Are the winds expected to die down now? Yeah, that's the ultimate question. Um, and they are expected to decrease. But the, the key with the winds is they're not going to completely die. So they're not going to end. Um, in fact, we're going to see in our wind prone areas, you know, like Alpine, Valley Center, Escondido, even tonight, there's going to be some wind gusts of 20, 25 miles per hour. And in our wind prone areas, they're still going to see wind gusts of 50, 60 miles per hour tonight. So unfortunately, it looks like wind's going to continue into Friday. But the good news is that these intense, strong winds, these vicious winds we saw overnight and this morning, those are going to decrease with sunset today. And how long is the red flag warning expected to last? So right now we have the red flag warning in effect all the way through Friday, in fact, into Saturday morning. Now the high winds, those, those strong high winds, which knocked over some trees and even knocked over a couple of vehicles on Interstate 8, that high wind warning expires this evening. So we unfortunately, because the dry air is not going to go away, and we're still going to keep that weak Santa Ana wind flow, right now the red flag warning continues all the way through Friday and into Saturday. We'll reevaluate it on Friday to see if we can end it on Friday. Aren't we supposed to start getting rain right around now, Alex? Well, that's the key. Uh, that is the most significant point to all this, I think. So back in December 2017, we were in a similar situation with the lilac fire erupted, and it just wouldn't rain. Uh, so this year, a little bit different. We had a lot of rain in early November, relatively speaking, but it hasn't rained since. And so this time of year, Santa Ana winds are not unusual. They're not unusual in December, but usually we have wet ground or at least recent rain and we start to green up. So that's the difference this year, same as 2017. It's as if it's October still. And so each time we get these Santa Ana winds, they have high impact in parts of our area in San Diego County. And unfortunately, the bad news is we expect more Santa Ana wind on Monday of next week. Okay, well, I've been speaking with Alex Tardy. He's Warning Coordination Meteorologist for the National Weather Service in San Diego County. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships 
or hohenmotors.com. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh with Mark Sauer. As our red flag warning continues in San Diego County, this bout of low humidity and strong winds is a frightening reminder for victims of the worst fire seen so far in San Diego this year, last September's Valley Fire. The people who lost their homes and livelihoods are still trying to recover. Joining me is iNewsource reporter Camille Von Canel. And Camille, welcome. Thank you. So much has happened since September. Can you remind us about the Valley Fire, where it was located and how severe it was? Yeah, of course. So it started on September 5th, um, sort of between Alpine and Hamal, and it spread to places like Lyons Valley, which is where 78-year-old Eileen Menzies lives, um, and she saw it approach her home. We have seen fires usually about every four years, they get fairly serious, but this is the first time it's come over the hill. And then after, you know, by the time it was fully contained, 16,000 acres had been burned by the Valley Fire. 30 homes were lost, including Eileen Menzies' home. Six were damaged and an additional 34 structures were lost. So what were the conditions like during the fire? Was it a strong Santa Ana? Um, So it wasn't quite the same conditions as we're experiencing now. There was a heat wave for sure. I just looked up the high temperatures in Homol in early September, and it was in the hundred and teens. Um, and the heat wave was statewide. So there was a bunch of fires raging all over the state at the time. And the winds came in sort of on day two or three of the fire and made it a bit difficult to contain later on. Now, have officials determined the cost of the fire? So they're still tallying the cost of the fire to local governments. It's looking like it's close to around 7 million now. And that includes the cost of the staff response and some aftermath programs like debris removal and and some damage to government property too. Um, The costs to residents haven't been fully tallied yet other than the the tally of the lost homes. You recently spoke with some of the people who are still trying to recover from their losses. Tell us about the people you met. Yeah, so one of them is Eileen Menzies, who we heard from earlier. She's lived near Hummel for decades and is used to fires. Her son actually lost his home to wildfire near Alpine two years ago and is just moving back into his rebuilt home now. So that's sort of an indicator of how long these recoveries can take. And um, Eileen Menzies is determined to rebuild um, and replace her mobile home that burned. Right now she's clearing her land, kind of sorting through the rubble. Um, And I've spoke to another person, Joshua Havens, who lives near um, Alpine who hasn't even started clearing his land because um, the paperwork is has, or he's had issues with paperwork. So there's just kind of a spectrum in terms of where people are in their recoveries right now. It's been a record-breaking year for wildfires in California. Are the devastating fires in Northern California and other areas of the state sort of draining resources and help for victims of the Valley Fire? So it's sort of a complicated answer because at the time, of the fires, Cal Fire was definitely strained. Firefighters were in high demand everywhere. Um, but in the aftermath, it may actually be the opposite. The fact that there were fires elsewhere has kind of helped the local area because um, the Valley Fire was bundled with a bunch of those other September fires in a federal disaster declaration. And it was it was almost too small to have been declared a federal disaster on its own, but because it was during this heat wave, 
um, it was declared a federal disaster and that gives access to federal resources like limited grants from FEMA and loans from the Small Business Administration. I see. So it's gotten to be very hard for people in wildfire-prone areas to get or to afford insurance on their homes, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. This has been an issue that's become much more apparent and relevant in recent years. Insurance companies are dropping people in high fire risk areas or increasing the cost and the last resort option available to Californians is really expensive. And the county surveyed people who registered for aid after the Valley Fire. Um, There was around 100 or so households and around a third of them declared that they were uninsured in in that survey, which the director of emergency services in in the county thought was actually low given what we know about insurance in the the backcountry. Even people who have insurance, it may not be enough to recover. Surveys of fire victims elsewhere in the state have shown that uh, around two thirds of people with insurance are actually severely underinsured. So even having insurance may not be enough for certain people. Well, I've been speaking with iNewsource reporter Camille Von Canel. And thank you, Camille. I appreciate it. Balboa Park is much more than just a beautiful park. It's home to most of San Diego's museums. They all closed once the pandemic hit in March. Some have remained closed since then. Others have reopened, only to close again once San Diego moved into the purple tier. In the first installment of a two-part series, KPBS reporter John Carroll looks at how some of the city's most cherished institutions are surviving in the era of COVID-19. Balboa Park. Spending time here reminds you of why people call this 1,200-acre expanse the jewel of San Diego. The lush setting is home to some of San Diego's cultural gems, repositories of everything from priceless works of art to some of the wonders of the industrial age and the miracles of science. For the institutions that house all of it, the months since March have presented challenges none of them have ever had to face before. The closures have been a very difficult thing to overcome. That's Michael Warburton. He works for the Balboa Park Cultural Partnership, an umbrella group representing most of the park's museums. Some of the museums, this is their third time being closed. Um, Some of the performing arts venues haven't had performances for the public since March. Some of the institutions are financially healthy enough to make it through to the other side of this pandemic easier than others. But for most of them, the loss of their main source of revenue, ticket sales, has meant painful decisions. Many of the organizations have had go th- had to go through furloughs and layoffs, um, really cutting back on uh, things that they can perform or programming. Um, it has been a-, a challenge, needless to say, for the organizations in the park, and, and different challenges for different organizations in different ways. It's definitely been an interesting and unique experience. I never thought I would have to go through. Katie Titus began her job as the San Diego Model Railroad Museum's Marketing and Community Engagement Coordinator in June, months after the museum had closed the first time around. The fact that the museum actually hired someone well into the pandemic was a good sign of the museum's financial health, but... The train's not stopping anytime soon, but we're running low on coal. The Model Railroad Museum is fortunate in one unique way. A lot of the people that work here are volunteers, folks that live and breathe model railroads. But Titus says the financial hit from being closed for most of 2020 has been considerable. Pre-pandemic, about two-thirds of the museum's revenue came from ticket sales. 
Titus says having that financial stream suddenly go completely dry meant museum management had to get very creative very quickly. Our membership and development manager and our executive director have worked incredibly hard to find grants and other funding opportunities, but we're still in need of donations to help close the gap from eight months of closure. Of course, it's human nature to look for silver linings in dark times, and there are some to be found in the park. Some of the institutions here are taking advantage of the COVID downtime to do the kind of work that's really tough when there are a lot of visitors around. For example, the Timken Museum of Art, where they're doing some interior renovation work. But for now, being closed means doing things differently. Like most of Balboa Park's museums, the Model Railroad Museum has had to execute a quick pivot into the virtual world. We have two virtual exhibits. We have our online lecture series. We have um, member-exclusive events via Zoom. We had our first ever virtual summer camp where we had campers from Pennsylvania, Florida, California, everything in between learning how to build a model railroad. And we've even gone international delivering distance learning programs to Canada. With news of vaccines on the horizon, plans are being made at all of Balboa Park's museums and other attractions to reopen. But for now, just this place, the stunning beauty of Balboa Park, makes it a great place to spend some time. The Cultural Partnership's Michael Warburton. If there's any place centrally located in San Diego where you can safely distance and enjoy gardens and a nice day out, this is the place. Even with its beloved institutions closed, this is still the jewel of San Diego. John Carroll, KPBS News. Tomorrow, John shows us how one of the park's major museums is weathering the pandemic, and he'll preview some exciting new things coming to Balboa Park in the near future. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh with Mark Sauer. For some, the pandemic has created very busy days with dozens of things to do. Others have been left with empty spaces and time on their hands. Not being able to go to the usual places or do the usual things can be boring, but it can also be creative. For instance, what better time to consider writing about the experiences in your life? Writing a memoir. Well, this Saturday, a virtual celebration of writers exploring their lives will take place at the San Diego Memoir Showcase. Joining me is Marnie Freeman. She's producer of the San Diego Memoir Showcase. And Marnie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. We're so happy to be here. And joining me is Lindsay Salatka, one of the writers featured in Saturday's event. And Lindsay, welcome to you. Thank you so much. Marnie, tell us about the group putting on the showcase, the San Diego Memoir Writers Association. What's that organization's goal? I'm a memoir teacher, and the community that was built just in the classes, we really wanted to grow that. And it's really been a blessing in these times. You were talking about, like, kind of the isolation that people are experiencing and the loneliness. Um, and having that connection to community has been really wonderful. Um, so the Memoir Association, we meet once a month and dedicated to helping people tell their stories, all all people, all stories. And then once a year, we do the Memoir Showcase, which is 
a, a contest and we pick a theme. This year's theme was that's a terrible idea. What time? And then 10 people are selected, 10 writers are selected, and their pieces are acted out. Usually it's on stage in the North Coast Rep. This year it's uh, virtual. Marnie, how do you help writers find their voices and, their, and, and tell their stories? You know, a lot of it has to do with the actual community part of it, because everyone walks in the door th- carrying some sort of burden or shame, feeling that they're the only one that is feeling or thinking this or carrying this around. And then by starting to practice telling your story, and I call it risking 5%. So just sharing just a tiny bit with your fellow writers and seeing that they understand and accept you is incredibly empowering. And it just leads to, okay, I'll share 5% more. And before you know it, someone feels really strong about sharing their story. Now, Lindsay, how long have you been writing about your life experiences? Um, Well, I've been writing for my whole life, but um, I started writing with Marnie in 2012. And what do you get out of this kind of writing? Definitely community. I mean, I've made so many friends and learned so much about, about people and lives, and I'm constantly awed by their by people's stories. And it's just, it's very inspiring and, you know, really gets me wanting to write more. Can you tell us about the piece that you submitted for the showcase? So I, I'm in a flash mob. It's a middle-aged flash mob. And I wrote about my experience, how I started. Uh, we, we, we don't flash mob much right now because of the pandemic, just so you know. But, um, but normally we, we meet a few times a year and we choreograph a dance and then perform it at different places around San Diego. Um, so the piece is about how I got started in the flash mob and what it has brought to me. Can you read us an excerpt from your piece? I can, yes. I have one right here. Okay. Earlier, I said I love to dance. Loving to do something, however, is different than having a natural talent at said thing. (laughs) When I say I trained for the flash mob, I mean I dedicated tens of hours to getting it right. I was not going to be the tall white gal with zero groove. I already borderline did not belong. I was not going to stand out even more for sucking. I attended every practice I could make and then practiced the routine in my living room countless times. By the end, my kids knew the moves as well as I did, possibly better. The S is for super and the U is for unique. The P is is for perfection and you know that we are freaks. I could hear my husband humming this in the kitchen upon waking. The song spoke to me. I was a freak. I was determined to be on beat, to change moves after every four or eight count to look enthusiastic and hoot and clap, even though my overarching thought was, please, Lindsay, do not trip. Thank you so much. <laughs> we just heard uh, just welcome. a bit from uh, Lindsay Salaka's uh, featured writing that's going to be performed in the San Diego Memoir Showcase on Saturday. Just a quick question. Have you seen rehearsals, Lindsay, of your writing being performed? And what's that like? Well, I've seen one. I saw an early um, rehearsal. And it's incredible. I loved seeing somebody else reading my piece and, yeah, acting it out. It was really, yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> Marnie, tell <laughs> us about the range of pieces that were, were selected oh, to be performed on Saturday. They really are very different from um, Lindsay's is one of the 
funnier ones. Lindsay is a really funny uh, writer. So I'll give you some of the titles to give you a sense. Um, one is called Lunch with My Husband's Lover. Another one is called My Day with a Homeless Criminal. Another is called Taking My Blonde Daughter to a Black Lives Matter Rally. So they really range um, at all life experiences and some speak to pandemic experiences. Some speak to having lost a child and some are, are just lighthearted. How did I get through a, a crazy jungle, make it to the other side with howler monkeys chasing me kind of thing. <laughs> and, and is it right that the pieces that are going to be performed will also be published? Yes, they are going to be published. Um, we have a yearly anthology called Shaking the Tree, Short Brazen Memoir. And so those pieces are going to be published next year. And where will people be able to get them? Um, the book is available wherever books are sold. So we have two already that are out, two Shaking the Trees. Uh, they're organized by the uh, theme. So, um, you know, this year's theme being that's a terrible idea what time we were looking a little bit more for humor and some lightness um, to balance everything out that's going on. But we have a few more um, like the last year's one was uh, called I Didn't See That One Coming. Uh -huh. Now, this year's showcase is, of course, taking place virtually, as you were explaining before, as all events are nowadays. What has it been like preparing for that? Well, we were going to do it in person to some degree as of last week. <laughs> we had to really switch. You know, you have to be really flexible because you make a plan and then what's going on in the county uh, dictates what you can do the week before. So on the one hand, it's been really wonderful having things be virtual because we're reaching a wider audience. Uh, but it's been hard. It's been hard to have that community feeling, you know, and to, to be online. So we just had to do a lot of quick shuffling this right. week to make it work. Well, great. It's been terrific talking to you both. I've been speaking with Marnie Freeman, producer of the San Diego Memoir Showcase, and Lindsay Salaka, one of the writers that's featured in the showcase coming up on Saturday. Marnie and Lindsay, thank you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. The Memoir Showcase will take place at 7 p.m. Saturday on the San Diego Writers Festival Facebook page. KPBS On Demand is supported by Bill Howe Plumbing, Heating and Air, Restoration and Flood Services. Family owned and operated for three generations, Bill Howe has been serving the plumbing, heating and air, and water damage needs of the San Diego area since 1980 with their fleet of trained professionals. Bill Howe has the ability to service all major and minor plumbing and HVAC emergency needs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Bill Howe is committed to providing excellent service to their customers with transparent quotes and attention to detail on every job. Whether you're in need of an HVAC installation, plumbing, or water damage restoration in San Diego, they offer the convenience of scheduling an appointment over the phone, online, or through live chat on their website. Call 1-800-BILL-HOWE or visit billhowe.com. Because we know how.